Let's pray. Lord God, we lift up to you your word. We thank you for it. Thank you for being a God of communication, one who desires that we would know you. Lord, I praise you that you desire that we would know you more than just a cursory knowledge, but a deep understanding of who you are and what you've done. One day we shall see you and know you as we are known. Praise you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say about it after he had created it? He said that it was, it was good, yeah. Shortly thereafter, mankind stepped away from God. World fell into sin, as they say. We can see it in our own lives. We can see it in the lives of, of those around us throughout this world. Every single person fallen short of the glory of God. This world is upside down, isn't it? It's upside down from where God intended it to be, where God created it to be, what he created it to be. But the world is completely blind to it. There's a spiritual blindness upon the world in which we live. Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 to 23, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, the world has been turned upside down from what God created it to be. The world, mankind, just isn't what God intended, is it? He does want to save us from this. Save us from what we have become. Save us from, from where we are. So he built his church. Said to Peter, upon this rock I shall build my church. And he leaves his church here to fill the gap, that gap between the disciples preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the day that Jesus will return and take us to be with him. We are here in that gap. He leaves us to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 until the day Jesus Christ returns, right? He leaves us here to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn this upside-down world upside down. That the world might recognize their creator once again. Got your fingers at Acts chapter 17 still? You can stay seated. I'm going to read through it just because I want us to have our heads right there. Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in 
as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. I love that phrase right there in the middle of it all. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Have you come here? Have we come here? What have we come here to do? What is the purpose of this church right here, this body, this fellowship of believers? This church is not here for our comforts, our personal securities, me. This body, this fellowship of believers is here to turn the world upside down. If we think we are here to live a nice life and to collect the same toys that the world collects and to achieve worldly accreditation and acclaim the way the world seeks out worldly accreditation and acclaim, let's think again. We are here in ways to be very radical. 1 John 2, 15-17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We are not here to be like the world. Not in the least. We're here to to turn it over on its head. To really turn an upside-down world right side up, right? We're here to make people confront the God of their creation from whom they have turned away. Just like where you and I once were. So how do we do that? What what are we supposed to do to turn this world upside down? Verse 2. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
We need to be a people who know why the Messiah, why the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. We need to be those who understand how Jesus fulfills all those Old Testament scriptures. We need to have an intelligent faith. God does not call us to a blind faith, but he's given us scripture that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt who he is and what we believe and why we believe in him. We need to be those who who understand how a passage like Isaiah 53 applies to Jesus Christ. If you don't know that one, jot it down, Isaiah 53. Look it up later. How does Psalm 22 give a great declaration of the truth of Jesus and what he's done for us? If you don't know that one, jot it down. Look it up later. See how the Old Testament points us to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. We need to be those who are educated in our faith. Able to explain what we believe and why we believe it. And it needs to go far beyond, Bible says it, I believe it. Because that doesn't work with the rest of the world. That is not sufficient reasoning, explanation, and proof. And those are the things that Paul used to show them that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter tells us that we need to be prepared to give to every man an answer, a reason for the hope that we have. We should have some scripture, some scripture, some reason in our pocket. And it doesn't have to be the entirety of Scripture. You don't have to think, oh man, I can never memorize the whole Bible. Nah, I can't either. Just pick a few. Memorize them. Understand them. Have them in your back pocket. Practiced and ready. So that when there finally is a synagogue in town, when, when an opportunity finally presents itself to us, we too can share the message that we've been given. The person and works of Jesus Christ. We can share those things for the salvation of those around us. You and I, we have salvation, right? We can't get any more saved than we are. It's the rest of the world that needs to understand. It's the rest of the world that needs to know the same hope, the same reason for a confidence that we have here in this building. Because things like the blood and crosses and lambs and lions... This kind of Christianese talk doesn't make a whole lot of sense to the world sometimes. Remember, it's it's a stumbling block and an offense, right? We need to have the ability to reason through these things and explain them to people. This is why we say the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on a cross for you. 
We need to be able to explain that we should be the ones dying. That's the wages of our sin. For what we have done, we should die. Jesus Christ went to that cross in my place. It's called atonement. He's died so that the wrath of God against my sin could be paid for, washed away, forgiven. That's why we say things like our sins have been nailed to the cross. But our message needs to go, our our witness needs to go so much further than a mere message, a mere explanation, a, a mere proclamation. See, sharing our faith in Jesus Christ is a combination of things, isn't it? It's a, it's a combination of exhortation, that proclamation, education, and edification. Exhortation, education, and edification. It's a mix of proclaiming the truth of the gospel and, and teaching and discipling people in God's word, that that education, that teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, just as he tells us in Matthew 28, right? That education. And also sharing, a sharing in fellowship, a sharing in life together, a building of relationships that we might strengthen one another, that edification of one another. We're going to take a look backwards today at chapter 16, starting at verse 25. We're going to look at the jailer as he was converted, and we're going to see what Paul did here with him. Go ahead, look at chapter 16, starting at verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The the gospel transformation of the Philippian jailer, it, it began with a declaration of the gospel in word and action. This Philippian jailer heard their message. He had known something about that message because when it came down to it, he said, what must I do to be saved? He already knew they were preaching some message of salvation. He heard their message. He heard their prayers. He heard their songs in the jail. And then after the earthquake, everything was unloosed. Everybody could have run. And and they said, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here still. They kept everyone there. And he saw in them their loving kindness towards him. 
And these things together, their message and their actions, brought him finally to that point to ask, what must I do to be saved? They had begun a gospel relationship with this man through their witness in words and deeds before he had even begun to realize it. As he saw and heard Christ in them, simply in who they were words that would come out of their mouths and the things that they would do. After declaring to him the truth of Jesus Christ, rejoicing that the jailer had now accepted Christ, they walked away. No. It didn't stop with a mere exhortation. Hey, buddy, here's what you need to believe. Believe in Jesus. Thanks. Have a good day. It it wasn't just a declaration of the, the simple message of Christ. It didn't stop there. But it continued in a relationship with him, didn't it? Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. While they were still in the jailhouse, Paul and Silas taught him and his family about the things of the word of God. They discipled them. They took them from that point of believe in the name of Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. And then they started to explain to him, educate him in the things of God according to his word. They were discipling them, helping them to grow deeper in their understanding of their newfound faith. They didn't just leave them at that that surface level, but they took them beyond a superficial knowledge making disciples who could then make disciples. Knowledgeable, intelligent, understanding of the things of God. And from there they go to the jailer's own house, don't they? And they begin to share in fellowship. They begin to edify one another, building each other up through relationship as he washed their wounds and cared for them. And they continued, and they ate bread together. Verse 34 said, Then he brought them up to his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. There is something special. There's something very special and significant about sharing time in one another's households. When we invite somebody across that threshold and we we invite them to share in our food, there's a, a, a bond that happens when we share in a meal together like that. Willing to let people that deeply into our lives. When we leave the synagogue or the, or the church building or wherever it's convenient to meet and we enter into each other's lives. In our passage today, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, we, we read that Jason and the others were prepared to take whatever the town threw at them. Verses 9 through 10 says, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
they, they paid the price requested by the magistrates of that town, the, the leaders of that town, so that Paul and Silas could escape. They stood in the gap for Paul. Because Paul, Silas, Timothy, they were more than just preachers. More than just those who declared the word. They were disciple-makers. And as they made those disciples, as they, they garnered those relationships with these people, they became brothers. Brothers in the Lord, sharing something far deeper than the things of this world can provide. So how do we turn this world upside down? It begins with living lives that declare another king. Lives that reflect God's word and his decrees over and above the decrees of the world. Verse 7 of our passage today says they were accused of, of, and Jason has received them, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They, they were living lives that are ready, prepared, and educated enough to boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ, no matter what the world tried to tell them. While the world tries to tell us that abortion is okay, and the world tries to tell us that, that same-sex marriage is okay. And the world tries to tell us that the outrage du jour is okay. We point people to God and his word. We live according to the decrees of a king who is not the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. We go far above and beyond the government of the United States of America. We serve a higher king, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we serve him and we live according to his decrees and we teach people about God and his word not to stick it in people's faces. And let's remember, we don't do this to moralize them. We aren't here to moralize the world. But instead, we are, we are those who are ready to begin gospel conversations. As, as God's word comes into conflict with the word of this world, we need to be those who are ready to engage in gospel conversations and build gospel relationships. Let's remember, we are not here to moralize the world, but to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ. The morals of God will come out in their lives thereafter, won't they? If we really acknowledge Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, and we begin to know him and understand him, then we start living out the things of God. But we are not here to moralize them, but to teach them, to share with them Jesus Christ, to exhort, to educate, and to edify one another, sharing together in one another's lives. There was a time in America when building the tallest steeple would beckon people to come to your church. 
because they'd have their house out there and they'd see that steeple and they'd go, there's a church there. They'd go. Those days are long gone. Those days are so far gone. I wonder sometimes if we realize that. People will not come here because we have a building and programs. I have seen thriving churches in these little strip malls where there's a bunch of little shops. Not because they have a tall steeple. Perhaps a few will come because of that, but they will only remain because of the relationships that we build with one another. If we want to see revival here at Alden Union Church, if we want to see the church of God grow in our community, it will begin with the relationships that we build with one another. It will begin with the relationships that we share in our soil, in our sphere of influence lives. Those personal conversations the personal invitations. Hey, you know what, Jim? Why don't you come with me? I have a great church family that I want to share with you. However you want to put it to them. There's probably a better way to say it than that. Take it in baby steps. Relationships don't build overnight, do they, most of the time? If you see somebody new at church... Somebody you've never seen before. Introduce yourself. This is a safe place to do it, right? Get used to doing that here. Then maybe we'll start doing that out there in the rest of our lives. Find out something about somebody else. Find out something new about them. Invite them to your Bible school class. Invite them to your small group if you're already in one. We need to build relationships with one another and with those outside these walls because the world will be loud, won't it? Verses 5 through 9 of our passage today, chapter 17, says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also, and Jason's received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, and they're being loud, shouting. And their voices, as we know, as we look out around us, they can and they do drown out all of our reasoning, explaining, and wonderful apologetics. Have you noticed that in the media, the loudest voice wins? The meanest voice takes control? That's how it works in this world. We aren't here to be the meanest voice. And they may be able to, to silence 
our reasoning, our explanations, and our apologetics by being louder than us. But one thing they won't be able to easily silence is our relationships. If people know who you are, and they know Christ in you, and they see Christ in you, and they can associate what you believe with who you are, and they can hear what the world says, but then they can say, no, I see something different here. Because I have a relationship with this Christian. The world won't be able to silence that so easily. So I want us to ask ourselves three questions. What does my life proclaim? Who am I discipling and mentoring? And who am I in fellowship with? What does my life proclaim? Can people see and hear Christ in me? To the point that when that hard day comes in their life, they might actually come to me and say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the same hope and confidence that you seem to have, even though you go through hard days too? Try something. More homework. I know, it's awful, isn't it? Try this. Ask someone in your soil, in your sphere of influence lives, go to them and say, okay, I want you to take this seriously, and you can take a couple days. I want you to really think about this. What do you see in me? It's a dangerous question to ask, isn't it? What do you see in me? Ask someone who is not a believer, someone you know for sure does not know Christ, perhaps doesn't even want to know Christ, someone from work, from school, family, whatever. Ask someone who is a believer and see what answers you get. And maybe they won't say the name of Jesus Christ as they tell you what they see in you, or or maybe they won't say, oh, you're a Christian. But hopefully they will come back with some kind of Christian characteristic, won't they? And if not, you'll know what to work on, huh? If we aren't already, we need to become those whose words and actions explain, reason, and prove that Jesus really is the Christ. And if nothing else, perhaps asking them to answer that question for you will begin another conversation as they come back to you and they say, well, this is what I see in you. Why did you ask me? Maybe it'll lead to a deeper than surface relationship with that person. If they come back with something like, oh, I I see a guy who who goes to the bar with us after work and can get blitzed with the rest of us. Maybe our answer could be something like, yeah, I I accepted Jesus Christ about a year ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And I have a lot to work on. But I am so blessed that he saved me right where I am. Pull out that that one scripture that you have in your back pocket. Uh, The Bible tells us that God showed his love for me. He showed his love for all of us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many scriptures did it take to have that conversation? 
one. Just have a, a few scriptures in your back pocket, ready to go. Whatever, whatever your story might be, hopefully it's not going to the bar with the best of them and getting blitzed. Whatever your story might be, maybe it could lead to sharing the gospel with someone else as you engage them this way. Which could lead to new faith in Jesus Christ. Which could lead to a disciple-making relationship. Which could lead to fellowship with them. And one more person with the same eternal life that you and I share together. What does my life proclaim? Who am I discipling and mentoring? It's a simple question. A lot easier than the first one. Am I intentionally pouring my relationship with Christ into someone else? Am I passing the torch of my faith onto the next generation somehow? With someone realizing that this, this isn't going to happen by accident and isn't going to be something I stumble into. Maybe for somebody here you have. You just happen to start a relationship with, with somebody and it worked out that way. But most of the time, we're going to have to choose someone. We're going to have to go to the synagogue on purpose, share Christ on purpose, garner a relationship with somebody new on purpose. We're going to have to find that jailer. We're going to have to find that Jason. And we're going to have to start that relationship intentionally. Do you have your jailer or your Jason? Because these relationships proved invaluable to Paul, didn't they? as the Philippian church provided and prayed for him in later years. Here in our passage, as, as Jason stepped up, paid the price, stood in the gap, and, and snuck Paul out to Berea later. God built his church as a body. Throughout Scripture, many, many passages point to us as a body. Each person in relationship with and relying upon one another, working together to build up one another, to edify one another, to encourage each other to walk with Christ. What does my life proclaim? Who am I discipling and mentoring? And who am I in fellowship with? Who do I break bread with? share time with? Who, who do I build up and encourage by doing that? Allowing them to build up and encourage me as well. Because we can't do this Christian walk alone. We still live in a fallen world. That we are expected to turn upside down with the gospel. That's a big work. But it's a work for which God has prepared for us to walk in. It's a life filled with challenges, isn't it? I'm sure you can all attest to that. And we need those who will pay the price for us once in a while. Who will protect us and guard us for the sake of that gospel mission to which we've been called. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, 
Let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. It's a great picture of what we've been called to. To give up of ourselves that the world might be loved into the kingdom of God. To hold on to them with all of our might and strength that perhaps one might be saved. Whatever we do, let's be sure that everyone who knows us is forced to confront Christ in us. as we proclaim the truth of Christ, as we teach them about the truth of Christ, and as we share in fellowship one, with one another in Christ. Let's, let's do something to, to turn this world upside down. Let's not just let ourselves go about the relaxed, comfortable Christianity that we are so used to. So used to. Let's not be okay with things as they are. Let's turn the world upside down. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for strength. Because, Lord, we don't have it in and of ourselves. I know, Father, that I like things comfortable. I admit that as much to you. I don't like change. The older I get, the harder it is to see it. But Father, you've called us to turn the world upside down, to live according to you and your rules and your call upon our lives to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you give us strength to do just that as we leave this place, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go everywhere we go and and we, we get involved in people's lives and share with them who you are and why we have such a hope. I pray, Lord, that that hope comes through loud and clear Lord, it will only happen by your Spirit's work inside of us. We need you, Lord. We need you every hour. Most gracious Lord. Lord God, strengthen us to do the things that you've called us to do when we aren't strong enough to do them. Remind us by your Spirit to what we've been called. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power, the glory forever and ever. Amen.